1: Welcome to another episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Reach PLC. In this week's episode, I spoke to Darren, lead games designer at Pixel Toys, an independent game studio in Leamington Spa, who developed multiple award-winning gaming titles. Darren previously worked at Codemasters, the UK's leading publisher of racing games. He told me about what games design actually does, how he got into games development, his biggest challenges, his career path, advice for people who want to work in games development, the future of gaming, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy How you doing, Darren?
0: Hey, Nathan. I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: Really looking forward to this for quite a while. So, Darren, I'm prepared to be educated, really, <laughs> on this uh, episode because I don't really have any idea about how games are designed or anything that goes on in, in building games. So, could you give me just a quick idea of what you actually do in your job as a lead games designer?
0: Yeah, sure. So, the, the design department really are responsible for, like, all of the ideas that go into a game. So... Our most critical moment is when all of the detailed design documents are written, which is what the development team will use to turn into the final game. There's loads of processes that we go through to get to that point that involve all of the other disciplines. But but really, the most important thing is that we document all of the designs that will be used to develop the final game.
1: Could you give me an idea from the start to the end of the process of creating a game from kind of idea to the actual kind of release
0: of a game? It's a very, very long process. And we like a design really is is never finished. Um, There's a lot of work that goes on at the start of a project, like when you're just deciding exactly what sort of game you want to try and set out to make. So there's lots of concepting and discussions and sort of analysing market opportunities. You know, you might be, um, you might see an opportunity where a certain segment of the market is underrepresented, underrepresented and there's an opportunity for you to fill it. So you know, there's, there's lots of early conversations about strategy and sort of what game makes sense for the market. Or you might know that, you know, you've, you've just made one hit game and you're ready to make a sequel. So there's, there's a lot of early conversations that go on before we put pen to paper or finger to keyboard on what sort of game are we going to make next? And then it's... Um, it's just discussing ideas and brainstorming with the entire team and trying to come up with you know a pitch for a game that really that really innovates and that will have high quality and that will be fun to play so that's sort of That's sort of where the the initial ideas will come from. And then from there, it's just about constantly iterating. You'd start to build prototypes of early versions of the key game systems that you sort of, that you want to prove out that might be fun. And then you steer and sort of make changes and update, and then just add detail and and more complexity as the game's developed until you, until you finally release, like it it, it sounds straightforward, but honestly, like. A design that is never finished will make will make tweaks right up until the final deadline day, and the uh, and the final builds are sent to a manufacturer for submission. So it's um it's a, it's an ongoing concern, definitely.
1: And what are the timescales involved in the in the process that you've been talking
0: about there? It really depends on the type of game that you're going to make. Um, you know, some some games are made in a month, some games are made in five years. So it's it's wildly different between development teams and studios. Um, For us, we tend to spend about two years on a game at Pixel Toys. So you'll spend a few months in that early concept phase. And then once you've got the green light to go ahead with development, we like to spend sort of about six months in what we call pre-production, which is where you are documenting the game design and writing designs and coming up with concept art and developing characters and sort of making a plan so that when you start full development and the team size really ramps up that you've got a strong idea of the type of game that you're trying to build and then it could be like 12 to 18 months to develop the full game so what made you want to go into this was
1: was it something you wanted to do from an early age or did you just love video games in general when you were younger
0: yeah, gaming's always been my main hobby and my passion ever since I was very young. Um, you know, my dad came home when he was very young, when I was very young with an acorn electron and with, had, had a couple of games loaded up on it. And ever since then, I've been hooked. So I always knew that I wanted to work in games. So my school studies were focused around, you know, subjects that might help me get into games in the future. I studied games development at university. Um, and then you know it's been it's been the thing I've wanted to do ever since I was very young.
1: Do you look at games differently to everyone else in terms of <laughs> when you're playing a game? Is there, is the stuff that you notice that I wouldn't necessarily notice?
0: Yes, yeah. If they're, they're really my first, my first lead in the games industry said, you know, like. Welcome to games. It's going to change your favorite hobby forever, and um, you, you know that that's definitely true. You, um, it's hard to switch off, and you're constantly looking at you know you know ideas that you could borrow or technological failings, or you think like, oh, I wonder how they came to that decision. So it's it's really tough to switch off.
1: And when was the moment that you you actually found out that being a game designer or being involved in the making of a game was an actual career path that you could take?
0: Um, I was. It's really weird because I've actually got a, you know an exact answer for what that moment was. I was in. Uh, I was in a magazine shop. And ever since I was very young, I had some game, like magazine subscriptions to Games Master and you know some of the more um, consumer-focused publications, and um, I found a magazine called Edge. And that was more focused on the sort of, the developer stories and what goes on behind the scenes. And ever since I, I read that that one issue, I knew that it was a sort of valid career path. That's that's what I've gone after. I've well, still got that magazine at home. We didn't script that, honestly. That was just one of the... Yeah. It just ended up being perfect, really.
1: Obviously, you, you knew that that's something you wanted to do and you went into it. Did the perception of it from what you thought it would be match the reality of what you actually went into or was there a bit of surprise in terms of what you were actually doing as a designer there
0: i don't think i really really knew what to expect um i I think back to my first day and my my first ever task in the games industry was my my lead So, so i started in um in qa in the test department at codemasters and um, I, I sat down at my desk and they said, okay, so like, here's your PC, here's your 50 inch TV, here's your PS3. There's no actual work to do yet. So can you just play through the latest version of this broken game for the rest of the week? <laughs> so um, I, like, I definitely didn't expect that to be my first job. Um, but it was, you know, it was it was interesting sitting down with a game in development and just seeing how broken it was and how much work there was to do. And the sort like the sort of things that had been progressed and the sort of things that hadn't been progressed, like some of the artwork was ready. Some of it wasn't. Some of the can- mechanics worked. Some of the weapons worked. Some of them were horribly broken. So it was really interesting having played so many games in my life up to that point, just. What a broken game looked like
1: so your job was just to literally play a game that they knew wasn't finished but you had to find errors within
0: it exactly i mean that's 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 qa in in a nutshell and um, that is that is your job you test you test a very broken version of the game while it's in development and report issues with it. Um, but on that on that week, the week I started, it just so happened that the development team weren't ready to fix any bugs yet. So my job was just familiarise yourself with, with the game.
1: And then after that, you moved into the Grid series of games, didn't you? So you went into being more involved in the track design?
0: Yeah, that's right. Um So, yeah, my first that was my first exposure to like the actual development team. So when you're in QA, you're siloed off from the development team and you'll get versions of the game and then you'll log bugs into a database system. And then the development team will be, you know, on the other side of the screen, fixing issues. And then you'll sort of verify that they're fixed. Um, When I, when I moved out of QA, I was, I was helping out on the arcade conversion of grid. So we we were taking a finished game and converting it for the arcade market, which was wicked because it meant in the office, you know, we had loads of arcade cabinets lying around. So that was really because it was such a small team I was just picking up any development jobs that I could help out with. I was still responsible for managing the QA team at that point, um, but I also helped design some of the tracks and make them a little bit more accessible for the arcade audience. I was helping out with some production work and planning and making sure that developers had tasks to work on. Um, so that was a sort of that was a really good really good way to get into development because I I saw You know, I saw how the game was put together rather than just what a broken game looks like. And I got to do lots of different interesting tasks um, for lots of different disciplines and really sort of work out where I wanted my career to go. When you say design tracks for the Grid Arcade
1: version, what do you mean by that? How would you actually do that?
0: So because Grid was a console game, um, it it was a lot more difficult than than a traditional arcade game. So we wanted to port a game from 360 and PS3 to an arcade cabinet. And w- once you once you start making arcade games, you realize that you need to make a much more casual experience. It needs to be a lot more accessible. This isn't, so, you know, the, the type of player isn't somebody that is spending 50 pound on a game and they're prepared to sit down, learn the car handling, learn the tracks. Now this is somebody that might be on Brighton pier and they walk past a shiny arcade machine and drop a quid in and they just want to put their foot down and have a good time. So we needed to smooth out a lot of the chicanes and make the corners less severe where we could make the, make the tracks a bit wider. So my job was literally that play test all of the tracks myself and then also get other other people from around the business that that ideally weren't gamers so we had um we had some staff from hr and reception and the canteen come and play the game and that gave us a better idea of the sort of issues that we needed to fix so once i had a list of improvements that we could make to the tracks then i just sat down with 3d modeling software and fixed all the issues myself
1: where did your career go at Codemaster from there
0: from there, like working on that project, our project planner happened to be the project planner on um, on Dirt Three, so he was sort of like he was just helping out a couple of days a week. So it was just, it was a smaller project within Codemasters and his like his main job was for was for the Dirt team. Um, And we just we built a really good rapport together. We really we um, we work well together. And he thought that I could, um, you know, he could play a role in in making the next Dirt game. So from there, I became the development QA lead on Dirt 3, which meant sort of feeding back on the game very early in development like way earlier than you'd usually expect to test a game Um, and give my feedback and plan all of the like all of the qa efforts for when the game goes into the test department ended up working on dirt three up until ship and from that point you know from working with the design team on dirt three got a job in in the design department to work on the next dirt game from there
1: and was that when you moved on to but the current gen of consoles for PS4 and Xbox One, for example? Uh
0: no, Dirt three was 360 and PS3. Um so we yeah, we shipped we shipped dirt three and then we shipped Dirt uh, Showdown, which was um, sort of it was it was a bit of a spin-off game. It was um it was similar to Good Arcade, it was a lot more, lot more casual, but still for a console audience and um from there i started work on the next dirt game which would eventually come out for ps4 and xbox one but that that title was in in development for quite a long time because we you know we made some significant changes to the direction of the franchise at that point
1: so how did it change from going from like you said an arcade version of a game to dirt rally i think on dirt there. Rally, yeah how different was that oh
0: yeah it was it was wildly different i mean just as a as a game experience it was wildly different to any arcade game that you might play and even even any dirt game that came before it you know that while the dirt games were were rally games they were they were designed to appeal to quite a broad audience whereas dirt rally we wanted to make an authentic rally experience that sort of that mirrored the real life sport so we went from having tracks that were three minutes to complete that were quite wide and quite forgiving to having Eight minute stages that were quite narrow and intense and required a, a massive, massive amount of skill to complete. So it was, it was a big, big shift in direction for the Dirt franchise, but it was, it was really well received by, by the community.
1: How did your role change in in that kind of game era? I suppose.
0: Yeah, so um, my role, so my first role in the design department was um, was on Dirt Showdown, and I was, it's um, at Codemasters, It's the first job that you give to an entry level designer. You're responsible for all of the text in the game. So, like, you have to write all of the text for the menus and card descriptions and any labels on the UI and the HUD, um, and you're responsible for putting all of that into the database in English, getting it translated, making sure that all the screens are populated. So, I did, you know, that was that was a big part of my job. You sort of automatically draw the short straw when you when you start in that role but then i also helped out with some of the ui flow designs and then some of the multiplayer design as well which um, i ended up being sort of really invested in and really passionate about so from there i took those responsibilities and you know they were expanded they um they gave me all of the multiplayer responsibilities on on dirt rally which was it was an amazing experience it was great got to work with um, you know all of the network programmers who were really passionate about the game that we were trying to make but also work with members of the community as well who got a very very early look at what we were trying to do and they got to feedback and we got to design around their feedback which was was really rewarding what did that actually involve i mean you know obviously a lot about <laughs> your role and what goes
1: on but some of the things you said there i kind of know what you're talking about but also i wouldn't yeah. know how you actually do them when you talk about the multiplayer and working with network programmers what what does that actually mean for someone who has no idea about what goes on
0: in games design so when like at, at that level when you're when you're responsible for a feature like multiplayer as a designer like to take you through from start to finish the entire flow of the process uh, the first job is just to sit down with the creative director or the chief game designer and talk about sort of high level ambitions for the feature. So, um, I mean, that is literally just a chat over a cup of coffee in the canteen and, you know, just talking about games that we like to play ourselves, talking about what other racing games might be doing and just working out what makes sense for for the type of game that we want to make. So from there, you write all of those ideas down and then maybe come up with some sketches about how, the UI might look and how the get how the sort of the game flows. So if, if you imagine like, you know, the the menus in in a game that you might play, you like we draw this, we draw all those screen flows out. So you know, you do some sketches so that people know what they might expect in the final version. And it's all about just just trying to describe the feature as well as you can without building it first. And then you take those ideas and you take them back to the creative director. And if he's bought in with the direction that you want to go in, then you'll take those designs and talk to other senior stakeholders about them, uh, talk to the rest of the design team, start gathering feedback. But that's also when you start talking to network programmers. What you don't want to do is sort of spend weeks working on a design and then take it to the network team and then say, oh, you can't do that. That's not possible. <laughs> so you like you need to get a network team bought into the idea early. Um, but it's also good because they've got a lot of great ideas. You know designers, while like it is their ultimate responsibility to um, to write up the ideas that go in to make the game, they're also you know responsible for curating the the best ideas from the development team. you know, I, I always think it's quite arrogant. And designers think you know they know best, and it's just their opinion that matters. It's important to include the rest of the team because ultimately, everybody working on the game is is super passionate about what they're doing, and they will have as as many good ideas as you have. Once you've got the team brought in, and you've got senior stakeholders brought in and the creative director that's when you might start working on early prototypes so programmers will start making early versions of your system to play so we'd start having you know multiplayer play test sessions seeing what works seeing what doesn't work and then refining it from there Um, and then it's just a constant iteration loop of playing the game, making tweaks to the design, communicating to the team and communicating your progress to senior stakeholders um, until you've finally got something that's ready to ship in the final game. But it's, it's constant iteration. Correct me if I'm wrong,
1: you actually design how a game would look and how it would feel and then you go to a programmer and say, make this and then he makes it and then you just kind of tweak it from there and then you work together on it and then obviously from the creative director above, you need to make sure that he's on board as well. Is that a decent summary of your role of a games designer?
0: That's a good summary, yeah. I mean, it should also say that um, Winner artists, and you know when, when I come up with UI flows and sketches. Like eventually, a, a professional artist that can actually draw stuff will take take those sketches and turn them into something that will actually look good in the final game. Uh, but yeah, I'd say that was that was a fair summary of it. From your
1: experience, how does the
0: public's perception of a games designer role differ from what you actually do? It depends who you talk to. My wife thinks that I just sit around um, playing video games all day, and I've had I've had similar comments, you know, when I've I've met up with friends and they've been like, are "You, are you a video game designer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you get to play Grand Theft Auto all day?" It's like, yeah, sure, why not? Somebody's prepared to pay me to play somebody else's game all day. It's um, it's it's difficult, I think. You know, I mean, as as somebody that works, you know, in and around games yourself, you know, the the fact that you've never had exposure to the process is is telling. How does
1: that change from being a senior game designer what are the extra kind of responsibilities you have was that your next role in Codemasters then
0: it was yeah um basically that like the, the more seniority you get the bigger chunks of the game you end up responsible for designing so um by the time you're a senior you'd be expected to like be the design owner for like the career mode or for like the entirety of multiplayer or like you know some really big chunky features and then maybe you have Um, have some of the more junior designers helping you out as well. Okay,
1: I think I'm with you now. I'm am learning as we're going
0: along. So uh, <laughs> if I'm if I'm quiet, I'm
1: just thinking. I'm just kind of That's absorbing it and processing it in my brain. After that, you went to Pixel Toys, which is where you currently work now. Uh, correct right. me if I'm wrong. Pixel Toys are they more mobile game than console game based?
0: Yes. Um, so yeah, I joined Pixel Toys a couple of years ago, um, and at the time, they had made some some quite high pro high profile mobile games. Um, been featured by Apple at sort of iPhone keynote reveals. Um, And just from talking to them, they also had some other really exciting projects in the works. So um, since then, we've also um, released some VR games um, and we've got some unannounced titles coming up that are also really exciting that I can't talk too much about, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's been, um, it's been an exciting time. Like just the, the cool thing about pixel toys is there's, there's so many different types of games that you could end up working on. So it's, it's been really cool having worked on racing games for a decade, you know, to sort of spread my wings a little bit and play um, play a role in developing some other genres. So you
1: talked about the differences when you went with the arcade version of Dirt, for example, and then you went to the mm-hmm. full version of Dirt. What is the difference between a full console game from the
0: mobile game? Oh, it's 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 wildly different. It's I mean, yeah, it's it's even it's 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 an even starker contrast than comparing arcade to console. You know, you're, you're designing around much shorter play sessions, much larger player bases. Um, social and monetization becomes much more important because typically our games are free to play. So yeah, like you're, you're designing around a much, a much different set of of criteria, really. You know, you can't you can't expect that somebody spent fifty pound on your game and they're prepared to it's like invest a good amount of time to become familiar with it. You've got to catch people's attention like really quickly, or they could you know uninstall your game and move straight on to the next free to play game. So yeah, things like you know the core loop. Getting players into your game early, monetization and player retention as well, like giving people a reason to reopen your app versus the other 50 games they've got installed on their phone. That's the, that's the sort of sort of stuff that we think about now. From what
1: I understand, what I can see, Pixel Toys don't have racing games per se, though it's kind of nope. a bit different, isn't it, to some of the games that you, you're involved with. Just give me an idea of some of the games you're involved with and how different they are in comparison to what you've done before.
0: I actually can't because none of them have been (laughs) announced yet, but it like. Yes, suffice to say, it's been wildly different, and I haven't I haven't worked on a racing game at Pixel Toys yet. They've threatened me a couple of times, um, but um, yeah, I've managed to uh, to steer clear. If you'll forgive the pun.
1: I thought we were going to get an exclusive then, but I'll, uh, I'll let you off. <laughs> yeah. um, not talking, um, you know, about Pixel Toys or Codemasters specifically, but what are some <laughs> of the biggest challenges you, that you you face as a game designer on like a day to day basis?
0: I think and this has become especially prevalent since the apocalypse started communication and getting every like when like by the time you're you're a lead games designer you're responsible for communicating designs and decisions not just to the rest of the design team but also to the rest of the development team other disciplines stakeholders marketing so like communication becomes very very important at that point. So in the office it's quite easy to just catch someone, you know, walking in the corridor or over a cup of tea in the kitchen. But you know, when when you're at home and everybody's just on the other side of the screen, it's like it's hard to maintain those connections. So we've we've had to work quite hard at that. I think think after a few months we're uh, we're getting better at it, but it's it's been a challenge especially in the last few months.
1: By apocalypse, did you mean pandemic?
0: I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The longer it goes on, the worse it feels, though. It's starting to feel like the other day. I just days. thought
1: I'd get that. I just thought I'd get that in there. Just if anyone thought we were in an apocalypse, you know, they'd yeah, feel but... a bit better. So have you ever been in a position before where you've, you've designed some really cool stuff, in your opinion, you've designed some cool UI um, and all the other stuff that I'm going to pretend that I know about, um, <laughs> and then you've gone to a programmer and he just said, no, he or she has said, you just cannot make this.
0: I don't think I have because, like, I'm quite I'm quite proactive in talking to other developers before I'll get too far down the road with anything. So after you know the, the the conversation over a cup of coffee that I described with the creative directors, like from that point, I'll write some ideas down and then go straight to the rest of the development team. So I haven't been caught out yet by by anything.
1: What are some of the things you've been really proud of over the last kind of few years?
0: Um, yeah, there's a couple of things. Dirt Rally was was a really um was a really proud moment for me. It was it was so well received by by the community that we made it for. Um so that was that was really rewarding. And then f- since I've joined Pixel Toys, I've worked on I've worked on projects that have played a big part in concepting from you know, from nothing. So that's, that's also been really rewarding. We're going to, we're going to start on a new project soon, which, um which I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be a really great game.
1: How big a role does the community play in games design? Because we've had a lot of people from FIFA Esports on this podcast to talk about the FIFA games. Uh, FIFA 20 wasn't well received by Esports players or casual players, really. There's a lot of feeling in the community that the game could be better, and particularly from an Esports point of view as well. How much did the creative directors or the higher up people where you work or and yourself listen to the community and kind of say, actually, yeah, that that's a good idea. Let's, you know, listen to them and, and do stuff from there.
0: Yeah. For us at the moment, to be honest, not that much because we haven't really got a community. It's more, it's much more important on games like FIFA where it's an established franchise, huge player base, and I know that EA go to great lengths to you know support their community and make sure that their feedback's heard. So, yeah, for us, not so much. We did it at, at Codemasters because was an established franchise and there were a lot of players with a lot of opinions about what they wanted the next game to be. Um, so it's it can be a really, really satisfying process, you know, talking to, talking to those players and finding out exactly what they want to get from the next game. For us at the moment, it's more about looking in, looking at the genre that we're working towards and like getting the sentiment from other games communities, like just trying to look for look for maybe features that aren't present in the types of games that we want to make that haven't been made yet. So, yeah, like, definitely still look at community feedback, but it's not necessarily directly aimed at us at this point. So you've been involved in
1: games design or in a games capacity for more than 10 years, so you must have seen so much change in that time in terms of what games are capable of. What do you predict for the next few years? Obviously, we're going to get the next-gen consoles in the next few months. What do you predict for like the future of gaming? What are some of the things that you think could develop over the next few
0: years? It's really interesting. It's, it's really exciting. Honestly, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm expecting games to get bigger. Um, frame rates are going to get better. Graphics are going to get better. But I also think that online communities are going to get even bigger as well. You know, we're going to see games that are even more connected than than they are today. Um, and there'll also be innovations in other spaces as well. You know, like VR as a platform, we've got a lot of experience in at Pixel Toys. So the next wave of VR headsets are going to be very exciting. You know, we want to see manufacturers pushing the boundaries in terms of graphical prowess um, and other supporting features for VR headsets um and then in mobile like just seeing better support for like cross platform play so you know apple arcade as a as a platform is really exciting like being able to play a game on your phone and then pick it up at home on your apple tv and then also take it to your macbook and get amazing graphics in the same game experience and carry across the same save file like you know i've i've been subscribed since day 1 and it's um it's a really really exciting time for for Apple I think
1: and he talked about most of the mobile games you work on or worked on are going to be free and then I suppose the in-app purchases that come with it and also the advertising is the thing that makes the company money obviously (laughs) over the last couple of years we've seen Fortnite move to a similar model where it's a a free game but it's on a console and then the in-app purchases and everything else is the thing that makes the money is that something that you think will be more popular in the future that kind of model or do you think that's just a phase that will fade out.
0: I don't know. I think I think there's space for it. I think there's definitely there's definitely pros and cons to it. I like I like the battle pass system. I think I think it's a good way of getting players in the door. You know, it's it's similar to free to play on mobile. If there's there's literally no barrier to entry other than the initial download size for the game. Um, and then the battle pass is a good way to get some you know get some money back from players and also to retain them because it's something that you've got complete and it gives you goals for for no you know this the current season of the game i think i think we're going to see both i don't i don't think free to play console games will ever kill off a full paid experience because i I think there's still segments of the market that just want that single player premium experience um so I, i i think it'll have its place but i don't think it's gonna i don't think it's gonna take over Talk to me more about
1: Pixel Toys then, where you currently work, because I've just noticed that you've managed to work for two massive gaming companies within one town, I suppose, Leamington Spa, which is crazy. Is Leamington Spa a bit of a hub in terms of gaming?
0: It is, yeah. Um, They call it Silicon Spa. Because there's so many <laughs> games developers here. You know, DJ Hero, Guitar Hero were made in Leamington. Codemasters are based here. Pixel Toys. Microsoft have got a studio um, that made the Forza Horizon games. Sega have got a studio. And then there's loads of independents as well. Um, it's it's great. Like, since, since I moved to Leamington um, 15 years ago, like, games companies just keep popping up. So it, it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon, which is great, you know, because... I've got lots of friends in Leamington that work at various companies. So it's a great place to go out and socialize. And it's um, it's a, just a really nice development community to have in the town. So um, it's it's a nice place to live, definitely.
1: And obviously, over the past couple of months have been hard for everyone and um, particularly kind of businesses only now really kind of announcing redundancies and companies saying that they can't employ more staff. But um, one thing about Pixel Toys that has come to my attention is that they're actually doubling their workforce um, during lockdown, which is yeah. amazing. That must be a testament not only to how much Pixel Toys has grown, but also the gaming industry
0: as a whole. Oh, yeah. I think the gaming industry is very lucky that we've got, you know, the opportunity to keep doing what we do from home. like just, you know, working with working with technology, um in our in our day jobs means that we've got the equipment that we need to just move all our equipment home and we've all got you know good internet connections in the office so that we can access all the files that we need there's been challenges but it's been you know i, I feel very lucky that we're able to continue doing what we're doing and in terms of Pixels pixel source growth it's it, it, it's unfortunate in a way because if, like we've doubled our office space in the center of Leamington. We just opened the second floor to our building so that we could double in size and hire more developers, and then the pandemic hit, so now everyone works from home and no one's even making use of that cool office space. So the, the plans have been in the work, works for a while. We're now ready to execute on them. So, yeah, we've we've hired, I think, maybe 20 developers since the pandemic hit, and we've, we've still got a lot more job roles that we need to fill. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for Pixel Toys, definitely.
1: And we've seen a rise in prominence of esport into the, more of the public <laughs> eye and more people kind of know about it. What are your favourite esports to watch?
0: So, I like watching FIFA because I'm a big FIFA player myself. Pro level say, or are you just casual? Nah, or? Not, not pro level. Um, I play, I, I play Ultimate Team on and off. I tend to have a season on and a season off just because it's so time-consuming. Um, So this year is my year off. Um, So I'm just playing seasons at the moment. I'm in Division One and I've won it a couple of times in the last couple of months, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I'm definitely not a pro level player by any stretch. But that you know that makes watching the pros more interesting for me because I can see you know the sort of holes in my game and mistakes that I make myself. So it's it's a good opportunity to improve. And I think. You know, I think that's that's why a lot of people watch esports because you're you're watching people do the things that you can't do yourself and that's that's what makes it interesting as 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 an entertainment medium.
1: A few people have said to me, like, why would you watch other people playing games? The obvious retort to that is, why do we watch other people play a sport? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, If someone is good at something, you want to watch them do it, right? You want to watch their skill. You want to watch their talent. So it's exactly Exactly. the same thing. And I think it's just kind of changing the perception of esports where people think there's no skill involved and it's just kind of sitting on you couch playing once a day or whatever and they don't realize the the work that goes into it and stuff so <laughs> yeah. well, i'm glad that it's coming to the public eye a bit more and we've got some kind of action that people have been able to watch as well i was just interested from a games designer point of view just talk about next gen consoles for a second are you xbox or playstation what what are you kind of you leaning
0: toward um so i think i'm gonna get ps one first but i'll probably ultimately get both <laughs>
1: Is that because of, as a game designer, really, you need to look look at both
0: or is that just greediness? If my (laughs) wife asks, it's for work, but it's it's definitely greed on my part. You know, as as a designer, you just want to play everything. And that, you know, even if I wasn't a game designer, I'd probably still get both because there's so many cool games on both platforms. So, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll end up getting both. I've got a Nintendo Switch. I've got games on my phone. I've got games on my computer. It never ends.
1: What do you think about the specs of both? Because there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about kind of frame rates and what they're going to be capable of and the fact that the Xbox has got so many teraflops of power or whatever oh, more yeah. than the, the PlayStation. Um We've seen a lot as well, haven't we, about people going to PC um, in lockdown, and there's kind of a bit of disparity between the PC game community and the console game community. Are these yeah. next-gen consoles closer to a PC or not really?
0: No, I don't think so. Like, console will always be playing catch-up. You know, like, PC tech just scales so well, so if you want to drop five grand on the computer, you can, whereas, you know, console's always going to have that fixed spec or at least you know mostly fixed spec until the pro versions of each come out um for me the the specs don't really bother me you know i tend to pay more attention to the game experience than the graphics you know it's it's nice to have good graphics and high frame rates and high quality art but the the most important thing to me is is the gameplay experience so yeah i'm not really bothered about the specs for either I'll, i'll end up getting both
1: spoken like a true games designer you're not worried about specs you just want to know how it feels and how it looks Um, exactly yeah which is the main thing (laughs) yeah I'm I'm just getting it 40 minutes in I'm just about getting it yeah I'm just about getting it so just to finish then uh, because it's been great talking to you and um, I I feel like I've learned a lot just to kind of finish off so if anyone is kind of listening to this and thinking, hang on, I could do that. Have you got any advice for people who want to become a game designer, what they need to do, what they need to have, etc.?
0: Yeah, I mean, the good news is it's really easy. Just start designing stuff. You know, like, look at your favorite game and think about what you change and just start writing those ideas down. You don't you don't even really need a computer to get started. You know, you could design a game on pen and paper it's um it's it's easy to get started definitely from there if you're looking for like a formal game design role in the games industry i definitely think about you know if, if you're at school think about maths and physics um english language stuff like that any of the like it disciplines that you can that you can read up on and then once you sort of get into college age or even actually even younger you could start doing this stuff just get a game engine get unity or get game maker and just start making making your own games it's it's never been easier to start designing and making your own games at home. So if, if it's something that you're passionate about, it's something that's definitely achievable to get into.
1: And do you need any programming languages or anything like that? Or is that something that um, is just kind of preferable?
0: It helps, but it's, it's not essential. So I, I studied a bit of programming at uni, but I've never had to do it at work so if like, if you're going to make your own game, you'll need to do a little bit of everything. You know, you'll need to do a bit of art. You'll need to do a bit of design. You will need to do a little bit of programming, but it's, it's not essential. And honestly, there's so many tools out there that make the programming part a lot easier. You know, you could get, you could get Unreal and start scripting in that, which is like a, um, it's all visual based. So it's a lot easier to follow. So programming is a good skill to have, but it's not essential.
1: Darren it's been great to talk to you really appreciate you coming on appreciate your time good luck with all of your upcoming unnamed projects that you've told (laughs) us about and uh, best of luck for the future
0: thanks Nathan really good to talk to you
1: Thank you for listening to the Level Up Podcast, an esports and gaming show. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast and follow us on social media at Level Up Pod. We'll be back for another episode very soon.